Amen. Let's sing together to God's praise. Let's worship God. Uh, we sing in Psalm 116. 116. I love the Lord because my voice and prayers he did hear. I, while I live, will call on him who bowed to me his ear. We'll sing verses uh, 1 to 7 of Psalm 116 to God's praise. join together in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our gracious God and eternal Father in heaven, we bow ourselves once again in your gracious presence and we thank you for the privilege once again of being able to gather and to worship together, to come before our Lord Jesus Christ in worship and in praise and in thanksgiving. And we do give thanks that you're the God 
who sometimes speaks to us in thunderous voices and sometimes in quiet still voices the still small voice give us ears to hear whatever you have to say to us and however you have to say it to us we pray give us a a listening ear give us a a studious and, and zealous heart for the things of Christ we pray be our teacher be our helper be our guide be our strength be our comforter be near to us in all our needs whoever we are at this time wherever we are Lord we give thanks for folk that are in the building we give thanks for folk that are online we give thanks Lord God just for the ability to come together and to worship and we do pray that you would speak to us each and every one that each one of us would know what it is to hear the voice of the living God and that you would bless us as we hear and receive that word may we receive it with faith and may it however small our faith might be Lord we pray that you would cause it to grow and to blossom and to uh, be uh, fulfilled in Jesus name we know that some seed uh, falls on the ground and bears uh, 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with fruit to the glory and honour of Christ. We pray that in our different needs as we come before you today, we pray that you would remember us. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we give thanks, Lord God, for all the, the blessings you pour out on us every day. We don't have to look very far around the world to see places that have got so much less than we have Uh, places where there are struggles places where there are real problems Uh, not so far away in the Ukraine and Sudan we think of warfare and conflict we think of those who are uh, caught up in such things we think of the horrendous flooding this week in the Ukraine on top of everything else they've had to go through Lord we pray for these people I pray for all those who find themselves in such circumstances who find themselves uh, in places where there is drought and where there is famine and where there are natural disasters and where there are man-made disasters and Lord we, we are so blessed, so privileged, so sheltered from so much we pray that we would never be insensitive to the fact that there are so many others who are um, experiencing vastly different experiences from what we often encounter in our day-to-day life in our own country Lord we we pray and be gracious to us give us a, a sensitive and compassionate and a sympathetic heart a love that reaches all around the world remembering your people all around the world we remember there are places where folk cannot gather the way that we are gathering tonight places where the the Bible is forbidden places where uh, Christian worship is not permitted places where believers uh, cannot even dare to tell others that what they believe uh, without fear of uh, backlash and worse there are places where your people are persecuted places where they are imprisoned places even where they are killed places where folk are cast out of their own families just for naming the name of Jesus uh, ostracised, thrown out their jobs their homes just because they believe in Christ Lord we, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in dozens and dozens of countries where these are the circumstances Lord we pray that better days would arise in those places and we do give thanks that nothing 
ultimately can stop the, the spread of the gospel of Christ. We thank you that uh, there are those who are still uh, publishing uh, Bibles, translating Bibles into languages they've never been translated into before. We thank you that there's gospel work going on through literature and coming over the airwaves and people just speaking it one to another uh, across the internet. Lord, we, we marvel at the ways in which we, we hear feedback as to how the gospel penetrates even into the darkest corners of this world. And we pray that you would continue to bless the, the spread of the word and that as you continue to bring more and more souls into the kingdom, Lord, we do give thanks that you are gathering a people to yourself and this world will not come to an end till the last of those are gathered in. We do pray that you would continue to be amongst us tonight. We pray that you would continue to bless this congregation. Remember them each and every one with your grace and your presence, your upholding, your comfort, your strength. Remember the minister, remember his family, remember the elders, remember the deacons, the members, the adherents, all our loved ones, all that we commit into your hands. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to each and every one, that each one would know the love of Jesus for themselves and that we would know what it is that our own devotion increases uh, the more we understand of your word and of what you have revealed about your son the Lord Jesus Christ may he be exalted in all we do bless the work of this congregation as they reach out into the community around them that the seed they sow now would reap a great harvest in days to come all that we ask Lord we ask in Jesus precious name for his sake Amen I'm going to read a couple of different passages tonight. Um, we'll begin with the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and at verse 36. Luke, chapter 7, and at verse 36. An episode from the life of Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, 
for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So on, may God bless to us the reading of his own holy word. To his name be the praise and the glory. Uh, We sing again to his praise this time in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Sing the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, no want shall I know. He makes me lie down where the green pastures grow. He leads me to rest where the calm waters flow. We can stand and sing to God's praise. again please in the gospel this time to the gospel of Mark in chapter 14 Mark's gospel chapter 14 can read of another episode in the life of Jesus reading from the beginning it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him for they said not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, 
As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So on. And may the Lord bless to us that further reading of his own holy word to his name be the praise and the glory. Uh, we can sing again to his praise this time in Psalm 45. Psalm 45 and at verse 6. Your royal throne, O God, will last throughout eternity. Your kingdom scepter will be one of truth and equity. And so on to the end of verse 11. Psalm 45 to God's praise.
Turn with me again for a short time tonight to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And we can look again at verse 3. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So on. As I've said at the beginning of the previous two services this weekend, it is a great privilege to be able to come to a communion season and to focus on the love of Christ and all that he has done for us, all that he has accomplished for us, his love and devotion for his people. And as we've also said, that means it's a good time for us too to reflect on our devotion to him and to consider our love for him as is entirely proper for us to do and as the Lord will enable us want to just uh, continue that kind of theme as we come before this passage tonight and let me say at the outset at the risk of causing confusion I've read two what you might call two similar passages um, but I think it's important for us to remember these are two different stories about two different people and two different episodes in the life of Christ. So the, f- the first reading we had in Luke chapter 7 describes an unknown, anonymous uh, person just described as a sinful woman. Uh, the Bible draws a veil over what exactly that means. Um, but the second woman that we read about in Mark chapter 14 is identified for us as Mary of Bethany, uh, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Um, I think it's John that tells us that that's who that is. Um, there are differences in the two stories. There are obviously similarities, but there are differences. Those that uh, are good at working out these things reckon that the, the first episode with the sinful woman probably happened at least one year, maybe two years before the second episode. Um, it happened in the home of somebody called Simon the Pharisee, uh, whereas the second episode happens in the home of somebody called Simon the leper, uh, obviously a, a cured leper. Uh, the first lady uh, weeps and uh, pours uh, perfume on the feet of Jesus. The second when Mary pours ointment on his feet also, but also on his head. We're also told um, with Mary there's a, a, a perfume, a fragrance fills the room that we're not told about in the first story. And in, the, in that first story we're told that the, the overall lesson is about the, the sinfulness of this woman, but the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus offers her, recognising her love for him and what motivates it and what inspires it and that our sins are forgiven whatever these sins that are not specified for us are, uh, he forgives her sins and recognises the, the depth of her love and what inspires her to want to do this and although others think she's a terrible woman at this point the Lord Jesus can see her heart and he knows exactly what she's about uh, with Mary um, yeah, there's a, a reaction there as well, well in fact both both stories evoke reaction in the story of the first woman Simon the Pharisee who's playing host to Jesus and his disciples at that time. they're kind of outraged and they're kind of uh, dismissive 
of this sinful woman that's wandered into the house and kind of gate crashed the dinner. Um, and more to the point that they're kind of outraged at Jesus. They say, if this man's supposed to be a prophet, if this man's supposed to be such a good man, why is he letting a woman like that touch him like that? Pour ointment to treat him like that? Why would a supposedly good man allow such a bad woman to do that? And, and they're outraged at Jesus. And we see there's a measure of outrage also when Mary does the same thing one or two years later, or a similar thing one or two years later, the disciples are outraged. Judas Iscariot is outraged, not because of the, the calibre of the person or of Mary or character, but because they see it as a complete waste of money. Yeah. What a waste of money, pouring it out on Jesus like that, this costly, precious perfume. And then, by way of contrast, the, the reaction of Jesus... He says, leave her alone. This is an act of great faith. This woman has done a beautiful thing for me. Don't look at it in such a cheap and tawdry way. She's done a beautiful thing for me, coming out of a heart of love and faith. It's a complete different reaction uh, to from coming from Jesus than there is from his, his very disciples, as well as from Judas Iscariot, who we know uh, is not a good person. What's going on in these stories? In many ways, they both speak of the forgiveness of Christ. The, the sinful woman, as she's described in Luke 7, she's just coming to an experience of that forgiveness. And it's as if she wants to demonstrate her newfound faith. Clearly, she's not recognized in the community as a woman of faith. She's somehow would appear to have recently come to faith and this is her first open expression of that faith the ointment she pours on Christ that evokes such an act of devotion and of love Uh, Mary we believe is already a a, a full believer in Christ and for her it, it is simply that it's an act of devotion it's something she wants to do just to demonstrate her love for Christ a love that may have been of long standing at this point we know that Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus they're good friends of Jesus we've travelled some of the way with them this weekend this episode in the life of Mary comes immediately before the crucifixion and we, we just don't know how long Jesus and that family have had a relationship together but they love each other and this seems to be Mary uh, inspired to do this act of love for a Christ that perhaps she's starting to realise that the end is near perhaps she's realising something's about to happen perhaps she doesn't know how close that is but it's within a few days of this incident happening perhaps something warning bells, some kind of instinct going off in her heart perhaps too why does she do it? Maybe she's inspired by what happened a year before or two years before the sinful woman that came into the home of Simon the Pharisee, perhaps she's inspired by that story, she knows what she's done and it's almost like an example to her and she says I'm going to do that I'm going to do that, I know how much Jesus appreciated it, I know what it meant to that woman I'm going to do something similar to demonstrate my love for him. It seems to be a completely natural, instinctive reaction, but maybe something like that. Maybe that lady, the sinful lady, inspired her.
What we know is that the first lady, Jesus says of her, she, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And that ought to strike a chord with us because if, if we love the Lord Jesus at all, if he means anything to us, if we know that our sins have been forgiven, then we cannot but love him much. And the more we're conscious that our sins have been forgiven, according to this, the more we will love him. That ought to inspire as we think about the Lord Jesus and think about what he's done for us and his death on the cross that we've been trying to focus on this weekend. The more we think about these things, the more it ought to inspire a devotion, a love in our hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ who's done everything for us, loved us and gave himself for us. Of Mary, Jesus makes the comment, she has done what she could. There's many things Mary couldn't do. But what she could do, she's done. That's an amazing phrase when you stop and think about it. She's done what she could. Jesus isn't looking for anything more from her. Not looking for great world-changing, earth-shattering events. He looks at her act of devotion and he says, she's done what she could. What a legacy. What a thing to be able to say of a person. You and I wouldn't dare to say of ourselves, well, I've done all that I really could for Jesus. Nobody could expect me to do anything more than I've already done. But that's what Jesus says of this woman, and it's his testimony. She's done what she could, and he says, and for um, as long as as long as there's a gospel, and as long as uh, this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Hers is a, a, a never-ending story. It will always be told about how this woman loved the Lord Jesus. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about her, still remembering. How many miles away, I don't know how many miles away uh, the Middle East is from here. But here we are at that distance, and at that time, we're still remembering her, just as Jesus said we would. She goes down in history. Her story is a never-ending story, and it will go on, and I believe the ripples will redound into eternity. Can the same thing be said of you and me? He has done what he could. She has done what she could. They have done what they could. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Could that be said of us? Self-sacrifice, faith, love, devotion in response to the grace, the goodness, the kindness, the love, the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just break down what I want to say into two things. Very simply, Mary's love for Jesus. I want to focus on Mary rather than the, the other lady tonight. Mary's love for Jesus and in the second place, Jesus' love for Mary. Very simple. Firstly, Mary's love for Jesus. Because it's all the more interesting uh, the way she, she loves him and expresses her devotion to him. All the more interesting when you consider what's going on around her at this time. We know, as possibly she did, possibly she didn't, that in the background, the leading clergy of the country, the people who ought to be the most devoted to Christ and to God and to truth, these very people are plotting to kill Jesus. They're trying to get rid of him. They're plotting his death and they're close to succeeding. A week or so from now, Jesus will be dead in a tomb in Jerusalem. 
and he'll rise again of course but this is probably a week or so before the crucifixion the plot and murder and at the same time right there in the room in amongst the group of disciples one of those disciples is plotting with them and plotting how he can betray Jesus into their hands there's a there's a chill surrounding the friendship group that surrounds Jesus at this time maybe they don't detect it but we know because the scripture tells us that this is rumbling on in the background Jesus knows all about it of course but I would suppose that people like Martha and Mary and the other 11 disciples are completely unaware of it the point is that there's this cold climate in in what you might call the church circles of the day and yet it's in the midst of that cold climate that Mary's love is burning so brightly and so warmly and that should remind us that no matter how much in the doldrums sometimes the church can be or the cause of Christ can be there's never an excuse for saying well it's no wonder I don't love very much it's no wonder my faith doesn't burn all that brightly it's no wonder I don't shine for Jesus the way I ought to it's no wonder my devotion is not as intense as it might be it's all to do with the circumstances around me well this Mary tells us and shows us that that's not the case whatever is going on around we have no excuse for saying how can I love Jesus in the midst of all that's going on and if we find that our love for Jesus is not burning as brightly as it ought to then it's it's, it's up to us to cultivate that isn't it why isn't it is it that we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven because that's the implication of the first story isn't it he who has been forgiven much loves much have we forgotten you and I ought to be challenging ourselves in that if we feel our love is lukewarm or even cold why is that? it's not anybody else's fault it's not the circumstances around us the problem's in the heart isn't it? I think Alexander Solzhenitsyn if I remember rightly uh, speaks about the, the Soviet gulag camps and the prisoners shivering in the cold the guards wrapped up warmly in their overcoats he says it's impossible for a man who's warm to understand a man who's cold in that context and I think it's equally difficult possibly for somebody like Mary whose heart is burning so brightly for Jesus to understand somebody like Judas how can he be so cold you know when she stops and thinks about it afterwards when it becomes apparent what he's done how could these people be so cold supposed men of God the, the leaders of our community the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law how could they be so cold with the things of God before them with the love of Christ before them you and I are called on to repent of any coldness we detect within ourselves and to make sure our hearts burn warm for Christ and if we've forgotten it's only because we've forgotten what he's done for us so as we thought about briefly this morning this episode happens in Bethany in the home of a man called Simon the leper who we don't know anything about um, but obviously to be called that he's had leprosy at some stage but he's obviously cured in order that he can move about in the community uh, otherwise he'd be outcast possibly he's cured, been cured by Jesus has healed him of his leprosy which is why they seem to be having a, a 
get together a grateful gathering for Jesus and, and as we observed this morning it's like a little foretaste of heaven there they are, Jesus' friends, Jesus' disciples people that love him, people that are devoted to him people like Lazarus back from the dead people like Simon the leper metaphorically back from the dead filled with gratitude, filled with thankfulness for all that Jesus has done and it's in that room and that context with all the the joy with all the uh, gratitude that's there it's at that point that Mary comes in with this jar alabaster flask as it's called Uh, and it's only John in his gospel I think there's three gospels I think Matthew, Mark and John all record this story but it's only John that tells us that it's Mary for the others it's a woman came in John tells us that woman is Mary of Bethany she comes in with this costly ointment, breaks the flask and pours the contents over his head. Perhaps she sees some symbolism in it. God has anointed this Christ. He's her friend, her saviour, her king. He loves her family. They love him. He's the life giver. He's given Martha and Mary and Lazarus spiritual life. He's given Lazarus physical life. After he, his death, he's been brought back to life. She could have used water, couldn't she? She could have just used water from the well. Made the same gesture, with the same implications. Instead, she uses this really expensive nard, as it's called here. Broke the flask and poured it over his head. In other words, she held nothing back. She broke the flask. She wasn't sort of saying, do a quick, keep some for myself for later. She broke the flask. Let everybody see that he's having it all. I'm giving it all to him. Very similar to the, remember the the woman who put two mites, two the tiniest copper coins of currency into the treasury bowl. She gave her all for Christ. She's given all she had, said Jesus all she had to live on she's given that's her heart of love and so it is with Mary she takes this alabaster flask and she breaks it to symbolise everything I have this would be her nest egg this would be her pension in, in that culture this would be her saving for a rainy day thing that she could sell if she needed to in times of hardship so I'm giving it all to Christ she holds nothing back. Holds nothing back. I think it's McShane that says what she's really breaking here is the, the alabaster flask of her heart. That's what she's pouring out on Christ at this time. It's extravagant. It's completely over the top. It's sacrificial. It's devotional. And she does it out of love for him and all that he is and all that he means to her. Remember that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 about love, charity the greatest of all is love one of the things that Paul says there is if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing and if Mary's doing this without love in her heart then it's an empty gesture it's a pointless gesture it's a man pleasing gesture it's a show off gesture but it's not because there is love in her heart and she's doing it to show her love for Christ 
as he himself acknowledges. If we didn't have his verdict on it, we might wonder ourselves. What's she doing here? But he tells us. He says she's done a beautiful thing. Leave her alone. Don't criticise her. Sometimes uh, wealthy worship, if I can call it that, or lavish worship, sometimes is over the top. We've all seen things, perhaps we've seen churches that have been uh, created you know, with incredible wealth and opulence. Um, and you say, what's that all about? How do we get from the upper room to that? How do we get from the cross of Calvary to you know, lavish, utterly opulent, over-the-top, extravagant churches costing millions of pounds? There are such places around the world. Uh, how do we get from the simple faith in Christ to this ridiculous over-the-top display of show-off worship? But that's not what Mary's about. And Jesus isn't commending her just because she's doing something expensive. It's because he knows the heart behind it. That's what he's getting at. He knows the heart behind it. She's done a great thing for me. And love for Jesus is always appropriate. In fact, even a cup of cold water, he tells us elsewhere, a cup of cold water given to another disciple in a moment of need. A cup of cold water is a tremendous act of faith given in Jesus' name. And what Mary seems to be doing, she seems to know, as I say, she seems to sense in some way that Jesus' death is imminent because Jesus himself says that. She's done what she could. Verse 8, she's anointed my body beforehand for burial. He implies that she understands that that's what it's all about. And you say, why is that? The disciples haven't grasped that. Jesus says at least three times in the Gospels, I'm going up to Jerusalem. The scribes and the Pharisees are going to arrest me. and They're going to torture me. They're going to put me to death. But the third day I'll rise again. He says that at least three times. And yet when it happens, the disciples completely don't get it. They don't see it coming. Maybe they're in denial when he says it. He says, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen to him. But Mary seems to have grasped it. Do you remember Mary last night when we were looking at her? Where's she sitting? She's sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he had to say. I suspect that's what the disciples aren't doing. They're not listening. They're hearing, but they're not taking it in. They're not taking it in. They're not listening, really, to what he's saying. I think Mary's a good listener. And she's picked up on it. And she knows. Because he said, I'm going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. I think Mary's just a good listener and she knows something is about to happen. The woman in Luke 7, she's forgiven because she loved much. For Mary, nothing is too much for her. Nothing is too lowly. She'll break this ointment over Jesus' head and over his feet out of love for him. Nothing's too lowly and nothing's too much. And we're told that the whole place was filled with fragrance when she'd done it. And I wonder if that's one of these gospel ambiguities where we're meant to understand it in a double way. There's the fragrance, the literal fragrance that comes off this perfume. And at the same time, the fragrance of her love that hangs in the air. And hangs in the air still in our never-ending story that we're reflecting on still 2,000 years later. It still carries a fragrance, doesn't it? And you're still touched 
by her love for Jesus and all that she would do for him. And may it be said of each of us that there's the fragrance of Christ about us. May that be said, that there's something of the fragrance of Christ. It's a sad reflection if there's nothing of that comes over in our lives. It's Mary's love for Jesus. What about Jesus' love for Mary? You can think about this in the second place. So we read that when she does this great deed, which Jesus clearly uh, appreciates very much, uh, others react differently. Some said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. John tells us, that Judas was one of those that said this. Matthew tells us actually that all the disciples thought the same thing. Not, it's not just Judas, the disciples also th- thought the same thing. And you think, how can they be lacking in such basic charity to Mary? Why not give her the benefit of the doubt? Why can't they see what Jesus can see as an act of grace and an act of kindness and an act of self-sacrifice, an act of devotion? Why can't they say... Well, she means well. Why, why can't they at least say that? No, instead, just what a waste of money is all they respond with. But Jesus accepts it. Just as he accepts the hospitality of Simon the leper, just as he accepted the hospitality of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in their home, he accepts it. And as critics, they're so selfish and so ungenerous and so cold that they can't even bring themselves to say, ah, you're right, it is a lovely thing she's done. They, they can't bring themselves to do that. All they can say is, there's no need for that. No need to prove or try and prove her love. How does that make us look in comparison? Maybe that's their thinking. It makes us look cheap and nasty if we don't do things like that with all, with all our cash, with all our nest eggs and our pensions. Maybe that's the way they're thinking. They don't understand her unselfishness. In their selfishness, they don't understand her unselfishness. In their lack of generosity, they don't understand her generosity and her warmth. Or in their coldness, they don't understand her warmth. In their lack of love, perhaps, having forgotten how much they've been forgiven, they don't understand her love, who obviously does realise how much she's been forgiven. It's so easy to be critical and grudging if we feel somebody else has been unnecessarily more enthusiastic, more zealous in their faith than ourselves. And we say to us, there's no need for that. That's over the top. Come on, we all love Jesus, but that's unnecessary. You don't have to go to these lengths to prove it. It's easy to take that attitude, and we should beware an attitude like that, where we think somebody else's love is unnecessary in its expression. The more we feel forgiven, the more we love. And I can only assume that that's what Mary's doing here. I love him. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Jesus. Nothing I would hold back. Psalm 116 speaks about how can I thank the Lord for all that he's done for me. And Mary, perhaps, while well, they're all tucked off to the side, she's thinking... This isn't a waste of money. This isn't a waste of time. This isn't a waste of effort. This isn't a waste of my life. Because she says it's not wasted if Jesus doesn't think so. If Jesus doesn't think so, then it's not wasted. And he doesn't. 
And yes, there's poverty all around, which is the surface excuse that the others come up. The money could have been given to the poor. There was poverty all around then, there's poverty all around now. But these disciples, if they really wanted to give something to the poor, they could do that. They could do something for Jesus and give something to the poor. He just wondered if they wanted to dip their hands into their pockets at all or just criticise Mary for doing what she does. What Mary seems to grasp is that there's not much time left for doing something for Jesus. Few opportunities perhaps left to do that. Others, their intention was to anoint his dead body, wasn't it? They went to the tomb early on the Sunday morning to anoint his dead body. She anoints his life and body. She has done what she could, while her critics have done nothing but complain and moan and try and pour cold water on her act of devotion and love. And maybe she's looking around the room, and maybe she's seen all the folks shaking their head, and maybe she's seen folk looking angry and indignant. But I think there's only one face that she's really looking at and looking for the reaction, and it's the face of Jesus and he's smiling back at her and he knows what she's done and he knows why she's done it and that's what matters to Mary more than anything else and more than anyone else Jesus is aware of the criticism leave her alone she's done a beautiful thing he knows the heart that's behind it he knows the motivation he knows that her love is simply the reflection of his love to her and his well done and his thank you is all that she needs. She doesn't care, I'm sure, what anybody else says. He appreciates it. That's what matters to her. And that's what should matter to you and me as well. What does God say? What does God think? The Lord knows my heart. I might be criticised from all sides. I might be shot at from all sides. The Lord knows. That should be enough for you and me. My devotion. Genuine devotion to Christ think of these women a week later Sunday morning they go to the tomb to anoint his dead body and it's not there it's not there he's gone he's risen but it doesn't matter because Mary's done it already Mary did it a week before that's what Jesus says she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial I believe she's a good listener that's why she was ready and prepared. She's grasped the moment. She's taken the opportunity that the others didn't see coming. And she's poured out her heart in the only way she knows how to do. She's poured it out on his head. She's poured it out on his feet. The head that would very shortly be crowned with thorns. Feet that would be pierced with nails. She's anointed them with her perfume and her fragrance and her love a week before. Christ's mind at this time it's on his people what he's doing, where he's going why he's doing it he knows what's about to be accomplished at Calvary his mind is on his father's will it's on his forthcoming death where's the disciples' minds? where's Judas's mind? Judas's mind is on the money not just the money that this perfume is worth but the, the money he's selling Jesus for and the money he's already pinched out of the disciples' um, money bag. He's obsessed with that. Jesus is obsessed with the will of his Father. What's Mary obsessed with? She's obsessed with the person of Jesus himself. That's a great place to be. 
And again, that should make us ask, what's my mind obsessed with? What's your mind obsessed with? The love of Jesus? The one who's forgiven me much, so I love much? That's why her story's a never-ending story. That's why it'll always be told. The story of his love, the story of her love, the story of her devotion. Isn't it wonderful if we can leave this weekend with our devotion for Christ freshly rekindled? Thinking about what he's done for us. Thinking perhaps about how much he has forgiven us. Thinking perhaps of maybe how little we do. Not priding ourselves and I couldn't have done any more. Perhaps beating ourselves up for how little we ever do. But we have a Lord who is loving and gracious and forgiving and who knows our hearts. And how even this small gesture evokes this response from him. Leave her alone. I'm fine with this. It's wonderful what she's done. Beautiful what she's done. Some pride themselves. I've done all I can. And they delude themselves. They haven't done anything of the sort. But if Jesus says it. Jesus says she's done all she could. Then she's done all she could. And he knows it. And he loves her for it. And it's lovely to see that Again, when you think back to last night, if Mary is criticised for being too inactive, Martha says, get her to help me, I'm doing all this work by myself. Mary's sitting there doing nothing. If Mary's criticised for being inactive, well here we see Mary in action. She's not inactive at all, her spirituality is really practical. And it has a physical outpouring. And I don't think we get it in this particular thing, it might be in John chapter 12 it might be that we read about Martha remember last night she was too active Martha, Martha, calm down you know, you don't need to do all this serving, do what Mary's doing come and sit and listen and learn at my feet and she gets rebuked for that but here, in this story and I say, I think it's in John's gospel we're told that while they're gathering here in Simon's house Martha is serving And there's no criticism for her serving. Because now, presumably, she's doing it with the right spirit. Last night, when we saw her, she was doing it with completely the wrong spirit and the wrong attitude. Now she's serving. And nobody's criticising her. And we can only assume she's learned her lesson. We've seen her this morning. Her great outburst of faith. You're the Christ that was to come into the world. She's a woman of deep faith. She's not just the practical one that's always doing things and never takes time to stop and think of Jesus. She's somebody who, who sat and digested what she knows about Christ and she says you are the Christ the son of the living God or words to that effect the one who was coming into the world she's a person of devotion as well not just a person of action they love Christ and they leave a fragrance for Christ and their story will always be told a never ending story I was reading recently, perhaps you, you know Brother Andrew, the, the Dutch Christian who used to take um, Bibles into the communist world in the days when, or the days of the Iron Curtain. Died a few months ago, and uh, amongst other things that he was asked um, before he died was, he says, now that I'm getting old, I think he was in his late 80s perhaps, he says, now that I'm getting old, people say, what do you want on your tombstone? What would you like engraved on your tombstone? And uh, he came up with three different answers to that question. He says, one of the things, thinking of this passage, he says, perhaps I should say, he did what he couldn't. He did what he couldn't. 
Because he couldn't do it except by God's grace. It wasn't him. The amazing things that he did, the amazing stories he had, the amazing self-sacrifice of his life. It wasn't from himself. It wasn't his own strength or his own abilities. It was God's grace. He did what he couldn't. He says, perhaps then, secondly, maybe maybe a bit too pious, he says, maybe he should say, he is not here, he is risen. But maybe, maybe that's a bit too uh, over the top for um, <coughs> that's said about the Lord, not about a human, an, another human being, a mere man. And then he said the, the third thing, maybe, maybe this would be better. And he spoke about Oswald Chambers, uh, a famous old saint of a bygone day. Uh, his writing still very much appreciated. Uh, he said, I visited his grave in Israel. He says, and all it said was Oswald Chambers gave his dates, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, maybe, maybe that's the one. That's the one. That, what's, a, what's my legacy? What am I going to be known for? I'd be happy if it's just that, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think Martha would be happy with that. I think Mary would be happy with that. They love Christ. They're devoted to Christ. I hope you and I would be happy with that. We don't need people to shout about our achievements. Anything we've done, anything we might do, no matter how lofty, no matter how adulatory it is in the eyes of other people, it'll be enough, won't it? Be enough if somebody can save us at the end of our days. They were a disciple of Jesus. They lived for him. They loved him. He loved them. They were devoted to him. That is a never-ending story. That's the story that redounds forever. That's the story you and I need to redound forever. That we simply loved the Lord Jesus because he loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray, enable us to know Jesus. Enable us to bask in his love. Enable us to rejoice in his forgiveness and in his grace. Enable us to be filled with the love of Jesus, a fragrance in our own hearts that exudes out a fragrance to others, like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, salt in the earth, light in the world. May we as a people shine and fragrance for the love of Christ. In his name we ask all these things. Amen. Our closing praise is in Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Some verses from the end of Psalm 90. Verse 14. O with thy tender mercies, Lord, as early satisfy, so we rejoice shall all our days and still be glad in thee. Verses 14 to 17. To God's praise. Psalm 90.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.